Welcome to the Stay Ready Real Estate Podcast, where we stay ready so you don't have to get ready. My name is Emeka, and I'll be interviewing a variety amount of professionals in the real estate industry to help you get 1% closer to your goals of buying your first real estate investment. At the end of each podcast, I'll give you three actionable steps that you can take today in order to get you one step closer to your goals. Nicole Pendergrass is a wife, a mother of two toddlers, full-time employee, and a multifamily investor with the current holdings in New York City, Pennsylvania, and the Southeast. She started her real estate journey with no money, no credit, no connections, but after overcoming some tough challenges she acquired a three-family house hack in 2015 and has since successfully grown a diversified commercial family deals through jvs and syndications let's get to it here's nicole everybody nicole so you want to tell the people who you are and what you do okay hi everyone i am nicole plendergrass i am i guess a lot of things a full-time employee a wife a mother of two young kids and a multi-family real estate investor Oh, I love to hear it. I love to hear it. So you have all these hats, you know, we, I'm sure you're very busy. What got you into multifamily? What made you want to continue to add on another hat and start investing? Okay. So this was, I was looking for what I wanted to do in life. I went to undergrad pre-med and then I decided I started working at a hospital because I was going to do a post-bac. Uh, but in the interim, working at a hospital, I just saw the doctors that I were working with were not it felt like they were just a doctor because now they had to be, they didn't have any choice. They had all the student loans. They had a lifestyle that everyone was looking for ways to make their life, I guess, just like easier, more fun. New fellows coming in were telling me like, don't do it. And so I had to rethink what my strategy was because I really didn't want to, you know, spend another 10, 15 years going down that path. I need to be a thousand percent sure. So then I went on a journey trying to find out what that was. Then I found real estate. I went to my first seminar. Then I tried all the things. I tried house, I tried um uh wholesaling and you know rock walking neighborhoods and trying to find like I we bought some single family rentals in at a distance with no boots on the ground and no real guidance and blah blah blah. So like I did a lot of things that didn't really pan out. And finally I got uh the chance to do a house hack with a multifamily, sat on that for a few years as I was trying to learn how to be a landlord and managing properties and all that. And then I decided, all right, this was not the end of my career in real estate investing. So I need to start scaling. And then I, that's when I joined a mentorship program to scale me into the commercial side of real estate. I love it. I love it. So you say you'd start wholesaling, door knocking, walking. I'm kind of curious, what how did you get to that? What education did you do? Did you just jump right in? Did you read a book? Did you Google some side hustles? Um, how did you find out about you know real estate in general? So that first real estate seminar that I went to exposed me to it. And then um, my mom actually had some, some pay from my dad's passing. And so she used some of that. That was he didn't have like life insurance or anything like that. Um, I think it was maybe a, some benefits from him being um, a vet that she got like a few grand and it wasn't much, but she used a, a chunk of that to pay for me to do the mentorship that was in the back of the room of that seminar that I went to. And from that mentorship is, it was a, it was a mentorship that didn't really dive deep on any one area, but gave you a good overview of like all the areas. So out the gate, I knew of a lot of strategies. Um, that was the one that like I had no money and no credit. So I started with that because that's what everyone's pushed to if they're a newbie. Were you, were you scared at all or did you just jump right in after the seminar? Well, I did a lot of 
reading and read you said that I read books and stuff. Yeah, still I went to that seminar and I read all the books. Like I went to so many meetups. I did all the education, like just trying to find out how to get started. Then then like, you know, when you over-educate at some point, you're just beyond ready to start. And I think my urgency for wanting to change my life and build wealth and help my mom back for like her investing in me. And I didn't want her to have to work two or three jobs anymore because that's what I grew up watching her do. That that urgency kind of just pushed me into it without, yeah, you're always a little bit scared, but at some point you just do it. The urgency of the family is always important. And I actually do know a lot of people who they think they need to listen to all the podcasts, read all the books. They have to know everything every little detail before they get in. What advice would you give those people? Because I think, you know, what's it called? Analysis paralysis. They have analysis paralysis. I don't think they see it. What do you think, you know, they need to do to just pull the trigger? What was, what's the mindset behind it? The mindset and actually the reality is you will never know everything. You will never know everything because any book or podcast, well, in a podcast, if you look at, listen to a specific person, if they're not from your market or they don't invest in your market, they're just going to give the information that's a, that's available for their area and for their strategy. So you might learn overall, but you're never going to know intimate details. I had over-researched. Like I said, I had been to so many seminars, read so many books and meetups and all that. And then when I started with my first, my house hack, there were things that happened even with that, that like I had never even heard or known before, you know, or things that I, I should have done that I didn't do because I was rushing and I was urgent to get like that first deal. And I was like, oh, I got to make it happen. So even though I knew there were certain things I should have did, I still just was like, oh, it'll be OK. And I went ahead and did it like you. So you'll still make mistakes even when you know. And then there'll still be things that you don't know until you actually get started. I think you just have to start. There's no there's no other way. There's no like do something where I guess you can take one first small step, the first small step that you're not afraid to take or learn how to push through the fear. And you don't have to be not afraid in order to start. Do it while you're afraid, because if you wait until you're not nervous, you'll never start. And if you're waiting until you need to know every single thing, you'll also never start. Another piece of advice is network, 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 and find somebody who's already doing what you want to do and find a way that you can add value to what they're doing and you can help them for free so that you can learn and just volunteer. Like, what gaps do you have in your business? What do you need help with? Because I have the time. If you do have the time and that's what you can add, you can, you can devote your time to the experienced operators, experienced investors operations. And that way you can learn by having like unpaid kind of mentorship, but it's really paid, it's paid with your time. You said a lot of things and networking is one of the biggest things that I learned, you know, just being in part of this journey and you never know who you're going to meet. You don't know what you don't know. And there might be a person with, you know, millions of dollars and they want to, but they're in London or something, but you're, you're in New York or something. They want to invest there and they just need somebody. And if you just network, go to these seminars, meetings, you never know what might happen. What was the main thing about that seminar that kind of got you over the hump? The main thing I took from that seminar was that real estate was not for big businesses only or people who have hedge funds or a silver spoon in their mouth. Like 
normal people, little normal everyday people can change their lives with real estate and can invest in real estate and buy them. Like, I don't know why I had no clue that that was a thing, that people actually bought real estate to build wealth and to like get cash flow and all that. And I had no clue. And I was seeing example after example after example of people like, you know, the the speakers on stage telling stories of people who had changed their lives with just even one deal can really be like, of, don't expect it to be one deal because that's not the reality for everybody. But it is possible that one deal could be that life-changing catalyst. And honestly, it, actually it is. Like my, my first property, my house hack, was a life-changing catalyst for me. There were a lot of issues with it, but that one deal really set me up to be able to do everything that I'm doing now. So yeah, I think it, it was that normal people can buy real estate and that you can invest. And even if you don't have time or credit or time or credit or money, but you have to have one of those three, you know what I mean? But partnerships and all this stuff. Yeah, it's, it's just that it was possible was and that people that. were doing that. Yeah. You said you started off with a house hack. Can you talk? Can you talk to us a little bit more about your portfolio, where you are, and what you own? Okay, so right now I have three unit, three buildings. The house hack that I started is a three unit, a six unit in Lehigh, Pennsylvania, and a five unit in Lehigh, Pennsylvania. And I also have. Um, I'm on the GP of what's his general partnership of some syndications and syndications are big group investments where people pull in their money, you raise capital, and then you buy a larger asset that nobody really would have been able to purchase on their own. So we have a 32 unit in Georgia and 110 unit in uh, South Carolina. Wow. You said you're a GP. Can you explain a little bit more about what that is? So when you're doing a syndication, like the group investment, there's there's two groups of people that that are involved in that. There's the GP, which is the general partnership. Those those are the investors who actually operate and run the deal. They find it, they source it, they get it to the closing table, they do all the asset management, they do the disposition, they they do value add if there's a value add opportunity with the building. So they they basically rehab units, they um, increase rents, they decrease expenses, whatever they can do to improve the financial operation of the building and just like the safety and efficacy of the of the building and the community for the residents that are there. The other group of people are the limited partners and limited partners, like what it sounds, are limited. They have limited liability if the deal goes wrong besides the outside of the financial capital that they put into the deal. But then they literally, they put money into the deal that if they want to invest capital, they get a return, they sit back and do nothing. They see the email updates, they get like, maybe they have Zoom calls with with the operations team, but you just sit and get your distributions. Exactly. And that's, I mean, I think that's one of my goals personally. I want to be a GP, continue to, you know, build equity, add my units, build my portfolio. But then I want to find someone like you who can, you know, run the operations and do all that stuff so I can be completely passive. And I'm sure one day you want to be passive and, you know, focus on family, maybe spend months in Ireland, London, wherever you want to do it. And that's amazing. <laughs> Besides, besides you thinking that, you know, it had to be hedge funds or big companies or billionaires and millionaires owning this real estate, since you've owned so many units now, what is one of the myths that you've... Okay. One of the myths, I will say, all right, this is, this is, might be mind blowing for some people. I think when you think of value add, which is a huge, like hugely popular type of strategy in multifamily real estate, um, because you can go in, buy a property that has potential, and then you 
through your sweat equity to make that potential a reality. And now that spread in what the, the performance of the property can be basically transmuted into capital. Like it's the equity and the value that you've added to the property. And now you can pull out that equity and use that to grow your wealth, roll it into other investments or whatever you want to do with it. In the very beginning of that stage, um, value add is because the value is not there yet. So a lot of times if you're purchasing a value add, the property can cash flow. You don't want to buy a property that's not cash flowing, but the cash flow is minimal, right? You have to put in the work to build that up. You have to put money into the property to, in order to get the, the rents to where they need to be. You have to renovate units. You have to you know, put in that, all that work. So at the very beginning of your value add strategy, it's going to take a while to stabilize a property until it cash flows enough where it makes sense, right? But most of the time, you're not buying a property that has that cash flow already in place unless you have a lot of capital because those kind of properties, are the value is already there. So you're paying for that value on the purchase. On a value add, because the value is not there, you're, you're getting a discounted value of the property because the value you have to put in the work to do it. So you can buy something that's already stabilized, but those more than likely are going to be at a higher price point and a premium because you're paying for the work somebody else already did to put into the property so that you can, you know, get some type of value. Um, but even that cash flow then is going to be smaller because you paid more for it. So all of that to say, I think one of the biggest misconceptions is you're not going to buy one deal and be done. You're not going to just like hit. Don't expect the very first deal that you do to be a, a hit out the home, a home run kind of hit, right? Like you need to have a source of income from somewhere else so that you can operate and grow your portfolio in a in the right way and not make rash decisions because you need money, right? So if you have, and I say a cash flow source for somebody else, that could be your W-2 job. So if you need to stay at your W-2 job for a few years while you're building this up, do that. Don't quit your job prematurely because you're going to need cash flow from somewhere. And your W-2 job, as long as your other, you have some, some um, disposable income there and your expenses are lower, you can use that disposable income to help stabilize some of the things in property if you need to if it's like worst case scenario you're not like out on the street with no shirt because you thought you were going to buy this one property uh quit your job and just operate this property you're not going to get the cash flow that you need to live and to especially to live abundantly if that's what you're aiming to do you're not going to get that off the first property out the gate um especially if you're newer in operations you're new to real estate so Keep your job. <laughs> and I hate to say that because I'm trying to leave my job real quick, but I've been doing this for a while now. So I, I have some things that I like have in place and I'm right at that edge, but you still don't do it prematurely kind of thing. So that's a, the biggest thing is that you're not going to just become a millionaire overnight. Um, so you're telling me that real estate's not get rich quick? Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm sorry to break it to you, but it's definitely not. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And that's that's one of the myths that I, I unfolded very quickly because right out of college, I graduated in 2019 and I was like, OK, you know, this W-2 is not going to be the only thing that's going to make me wealthy. There's no way I'm going to be working here until I'm 65. So I'm like, <laughs> OK, I'm going to buy a single family home. I'll do one once a year. I'll cash flow a thousand dollars per single family home. So in that way. I would, <laughs> in that way, I'll make 10,000 a month by the time I'm, how old was I like, by the time I'm 33, 
And then after the first one, I quickly learned that that is <laughs> that is not the case. So speaking of that, you know, since I bought that single family home, I was a landlord. I wanted to be a landlord myself because I wanted to see what needed to be done. And whenever I started hiring property managers, I know what they're doing and what they're not doing. But in that in that little phase I had, there was a lot of experience I went through, a lot of ups, lots of downs. One of those downs were my tenant kept losing her key and locking herself out. You have a big portfolio now. What is what is a very memorable moment or some 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 times that you know you're like, do I really want to be in real estate right now? Just because some issues that you had and you're still in real estate. So what did you do to solve the issue? What was the issue? And how'd you overcome it? And why are you still in real estate afterwards? Oh my God, there's so many issues. I, I guess the biggest one is me going through an eviction process and me going through the eviction process with the tenant while I was house hacking. So I lived in the same building as this tenant who wasn't paying me rent. So I'd see them go out every morning in scrubs. So I know they're going to work. Like I'd see them have food deliveries to the house. You can't afford, you better cook some food, some rice and ramen noodles in the house. You ain't paying me rent. Why are you ordering food? You got money to order food. You got money to pay me rent, right? I see them having, I can hear them. They're the apartment upstairs. I can hear them if they're having a party or, you know, a birthday <laughs> celebration. You cannot afford to celebrate your birthday. <laughs> like, you can pay me my rent. So this was like, they, it, it was like a, a year about of getting no rent payments or like a half a year of getting half the rent because it was three tenants living there. Two of them were not paying me. One of them was paying me. So I was getting that part of the rent for like half a year. The other two left at the end of their lease, but the one who was paying me asked if she could stay and bring her cousin or somebody in. So at, in the process of doing like, um, kind of screening that that cousin that was coming in and seeing where they if they could still afford the apartment with just the two of them the first girl who was paying me before stopped paying me so now and then the tent the cousin never you moved in so now i had zero rent for like another probably from like january till she finally got out and evicted in the marshall came in like august or september so in new york city it's a long process to get anybody out. The court date kept getting extended. Anytime some like one little piece of paper or somebody to show or whatever, it would get extended another 30 days. So another 30 days is a whole nother month of expenses and things that I have to pay for. Luckily, I had been applying for at my job to go to grad school and I was getting tuition reimbursement from my job and I had to fight for that tuition reimbursement because I didn't want to have a grad school loan. But now that tuition reimbursement, I ended up having to use to pay my mortgage and expenses because I had tenants, a tenant not paying. So that was helping to float me. So now I still have my grad school loan that I wasn't supposed to have <laughs> because this, this I had to reallocate capital, you know, and that was, so it was, it was definitely a trying experience. I was also pregnant at that time. I, I forced myself to go into court waddling <laughs> pregnant. Cause I was like, I need them to see that I am not a big landlord who has all these things. Like I'm, I, this is the only building I have. Like I'm about to lose my first building because somebody thinks that they can live for free. Like I did not buy this building for somebody else to live for free. I bought this building for me and my family to live for free. So they didn't go through all the the, the troubles and hassles and ups and downs, even getting this building, scraping together like the down payment and all of that. So it was definitely a trying experience. I, I, I'm still here. I ended up 
find like I ended up being able to float that. Luckily, that just happened to coincide. God knew I wasn't going to use that to pay off my my grad school tuition. I was going to use it for my property. So he helped me get through that part. Then I found someone who was really good, a really good broker to um, start helping me with renewals and finding new tenants. Because at first I tried to do it myself and I was like, this is not for me. I'm too much of a sucker. And people will give me their sob stories when they they want to rent yeah. the apartment. And I'm like, I need separation between me and the tenant when we're doing the screening process. And so my broker that I found was excellent. He would always find me great people. And so after that, it, it transformed. And the new broker was bringing me in great tenants. And so my tenant kind of profile evolved into people who pay regularly and I don't have that issue anymore. So luckily, lesson learned from that was the person I bought the property from, he it was vacant when I first saw it, but he promised because he was an experienced investor of a rehabber, he promised to put good tenants in there and I wouldn't have to worry about anything because he was helping the new investor out. Yeah, a lot of other stuff happened with that. I was supposed to approve the tenants before he allowed them to move in. He actually allowed them to move in and I didn't get the tenant documents until we were at the closing table. And so, of course, at that point, I'm not going to walk away from my very first investment when we came so far. So that that was a whole that's a learning lesson and experiences. Don't trust anyone who says, trust me 50 times in a sentence. Sounds good. And you're still with the thing I love about it is it's not a failure. You know, a lot of people will probably quit afterwards, but it's just a lesson. You know, I feel if other people are doing it and they're still doing it, people don't become successful being perfect. You know, there's speed bumps on the way. So it sounds like it's just your speed bumps. And now your portfolio is amazing. And I love it. And you said they had to separate the, basically the emotions to the, to the business. Yes. I learned that my first one too, because I was raised by a single mom who was raising two kids. And one of my tenants was a housing voucher, single mom raising three kids, three daughters. And there was a school right behind my house. So I was like, okay, this is perfect. She's going to have to pay because... You know, she wants her kids to walk to school. She doesn't have to leave work. And that's when I had someone I knew I can't, I just can't do it because she's the, because what happened was she lied on her voucher. So what the, what the voucher did was she applied and they offer the first three months while it's still in process. So no matter if they validated or not, they're able to still help them out for the first three months. So one time I just stopped getting the full thing and she started saying she can pay late. And then I go to the house and they were like, no, she lied on her, she lied on her voucher and we can't pay for her anymore. And then in my head, I'm just like, <laughs> this is my first one. I don't know what to do. I don't think I learned this on the podcast. No, <laughs> see, that kind of stuff you don't learn on a podcast, <laughs> except for today. This podcast, you do learn it. Exactly. But the thing was, it's just, it's just one step after the other. Okay. That happened. What's next? I can't dwell on that. I can't go back and change it. Okay, so now I'm not getting rent. What do? What's the next thing? The next thing is I have to get rent. So I talked with the tenant and I was like, okay, what can you do? What can you provide? I told her I'm not. I'm not reducing this rent. We have a legal contract. This is gonna happen. Your daughter's gonna go to school right here. It's a great school in the great neighborhood. A great location. It's either work with me. And what happened was. She ended up paying, but like almost every single month it was late, but she always paid the late fees. So even though that was a headache in itself, because I'm always like every single month, I'm sweating like, okay, is she going to pay this month? Am I going to visit randomly and pop up one day and everything is gone? One day I popped up and there's like a random truck in the car and it was there for like a week. So I'm like, oh, did she, 
did somebody just move in? <laughs> you know, you just start thinking. I think you start thinking yeah. too much. But yeah, at the end of the day, the property was good. I ended up selling it, and she started. She paid, and I actually ended up getting more money than I expected because of those late fees. And I enforced those late fees as well. So what I did was, I was like, hey, there's like you, you have to pay this. I don't care if it's late, but it's going to be a per day basis. So as long as you're stern with the people and just understand that this is a long-term game, which it seems like you knew at a very early point, I think anybody can get through anything because um, I've learned just in life in general, our problems are not as big as they seem. You know, people live until 60s, 70s, 80s. They're going to look back at this problem that you had, that that bad tenant. And you're going to laugh about it because like, okay, I learned. But because of that, that's why I do this. So we're going to move on to the next segment of the show where I ask you the same three questions. So for the first question, what is the most impactful speech or lesson that helped you in your real estate career in life? Um, actually, the most impactful lesson came more recently because I'm a member. They always say, get into the rooms where you're not the smartest one in the room and like people are above you, like, and you can be inspired and you can, you know, just be in room with people who are doing more and bigger than what you're doing. So you, you're inspired to move forward. So in that, and I'm part of a lot of different like groups and masterminds and stuff, but then I'm always comparing myself to their journey. And that always makes me upset at where I'm at or like thinking I'm not doing enough or, you know, it's not, it's not good enough or what else can I do or whatever, and not being happy about where I'm at now. So I would say that looking back at your journey and comparing yourself now to yourself in your past, like like take a point a year ago, two years ago, three years ago, and think about where you were then and what you had, what mindset and all of that. And now compare yourself to today and you will see that you actually have had a ton of growth and more that you realize. And that should be your comparative point to yourself and not to other people. So look internally to compare and not externally. I love that. I love that. What are two books you would recommend an inspiring investor to read? Well, that actually, that lesson came from The Gap in the Gain by Dan Sullivan. So I highly, that was transformative for me. Um, I highly recommend that. And another really good book that I feel like might be not, widely talked about, not Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Everybody knows to read that, so I won't say that one. But The ABCs of Real Estate Investing by Ken McElroy. Read that one. I feel like I read that a long time ago and I need to refine it because it really, I was impressed with the lessons that it had in there. So I, I recommend that book too. I love it. And lastly, if you could have dinner with anyone dead or alive, who would it be and why? my dad okay my dad um oh look i wasn't even I, that pop just popped into my head and i'm about to cry i would love to show him and tell him everything that i'm doing now and for to tell him about his grandkids that he never got to see why you do this to me amika <laughs> no i wasn't expecting that i just was thinking about like big name people but yeah i would like to have dinner with my dad I love it. And I'm sure I'm sure he'd be very proud. And you've you've came so far from a house hack to being a GP to dealing with crazy tenants. So I'm sure I'm sure it's not gonna end, but you're keep pushing. And very soon you are going to leave your job and be great. And you're gonna be so happy that you did everything that you did. So 
Yeah. How can the audience reach you if they want to ask you questions or just learn about your journey? Well, I'm everywhere. I'm on, well, not everywhere. I'm on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. Or you could just go to my website and my website has the links to all of my social media. You can message me through my website. So my website is norvestholdings.com. That's N-O-I-R-V-E-S-T holdings, H-O-L-D-I-N-G-S.com. Um, or email me at Nicole at noirvestholdings.com. Um, or reach out to me on the social media platforms, which you can find through my website. And I'll also give you those links to having the show notes. Sounds good. I'll definitely put it in the show notes. Well, Nicole, thank you so much for joining the podcast. And uh, I'm sure I'll see you again in the future. Day. All right. Same. Thank you for having me. No problem. That was Nicole, everybody. If you enjoyed that podcast, please like and subscribe on the channel. At the beginning of the podcast, I'll tell you I give you three actionable steps that you can do today. Number one, search the tenant and landlord laws in your state. Is it a landlord friendly state or is it not? See what the eviction process is and just look online and determine what kind of state you are, if it's landlord friendly or not. Number two, affordable housing. We talked about housing vouchers. Go to your local housing authority. Just type in the city that you live in and housing authority. They'll have this address. They'll have all the information online. Go to it. Figure out what the rents are. Figure out what the market rents are. Once you determine that, you'll be able to see if uh, affordable housing is the right for you. You can also see if the city gives any tax incentives. It starts with research. It starts with education. So talk with people. Talk with the housing authority. Look online. Look at the city's website. And you're able to see more about what's going on in that city and lastly what can you afford what can you use with your own money what can you buy with your own money if you want to get into multifamily or single family you have to determine what's your budget if you don't have money then you need to focus on research education and the knowledge that you can bring to bring value to somebody else if you know everything about your market that is value so figure out what you can afford and if you can't afford it what value can you bring have a good one until next time